I'm Brandon Hall, and it's time for another episode of Freelance to Founder. Coming from the background that I was in with no money, I'm not sure what I would have done differently. Um, like I, I pretty much just put a ton of elbow grease into it, and that was what was required. There were there were things that I could have done which would have been maybe faster. Uh, I, I should have quit social media even earlier than I did. Um, but again, maybe I would have made it in social media if I kept going at it, but I did know that it was something that I wasn't interested in. So I think find what you're interested in, find what you want to be good at, and really pursue that. And um, at, at the beginning, the only thing that I had was sweat equity, but I had a lot of it. Freelance to Founder is the podcast where I talk to entrepreneurs of all kinds, service providers, marketing agency leaders, online course builders, bloggers, physical product inventors, software developers, even other podcasters, all the angles. And what makes my guests unique is that they typically started these pursuits as freelance gigs, which ultimately took on a whole new life and scaled far beyond their expectations, even their dreams, and therefore much bigger than themselves. This is such a fun podcast in general. You get to know the founders beyond the how-tos, but it's really a special episode this week. Today, you'll hear the story of Will Hatton, founder of TheBrokeBackpacker.com. Will turned a passion into something massive. It's not only helped him give back to causes very important to him on a deep, deep level, it's helped him produce an incredible amount of monthly revenue. And he's accomplished this over such a short amount of time. But I don't share this episode as some sort of get-rich-quick formula. No, 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 no. I hope I never come across that way with this podcast, as evidenced by that opening snippet from Will, by the way. This is actually a grueling story of how one man and a friend he found along the way came to build a nine-business empire that's delivering seven figures in revenue for him. The revenue sources pile up here. TheBrokeBackpacker.com, Epic Backpacker Tours, the Active Roots brand on Amazon, Ditch Your Desk. These are just four of them. I can't imagine backpacking with Will because I was out of breath just interviewing him. He's been everywhere, even in lands you would never go to, and he's making serious money passing along his travel wisdom as a result. And I should mention, I have personally spoken to the CEO of one of the sources of his revenue. Will's numbers are real. Now, one more thing before we get started with this unbelievable podcast episode. We podcasters ask a lot for ratings and reviews. Today, I have a different request. Will you take five minutes instead to either reach out to me on Twitter at Brandon Hull and tell me what you think of the show, good, bad, or ugly. And if you like the show, Will you tell three friends about it? You can do it on social or just via word of mouth, but I'd love for you to pass me along to others. All right, now let's get to the show. Whether you want to travel more or communicate better with international clients, you need to try Babbel. I've used Babbel's courses and you can do the same in order to learn real life conversation skills in a different language, order food, ask for directions, or speak to clients without having to use translation apps. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash freelance. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash freelance, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash freelance. Rules and restrictions apply. Will Hatton, I am so excited to have you on. Thank you for joining me. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here, man. This may be one of the 
most epic conversations that we have. And I've talked to founders of companies that are doing 15 million a year who three years ago didn't exist and people who've done a million in their first year uh, just this within the last month. Um, but this one, this conversation, I can't wait to share with people. Yeah, dude, I'm stoked. There's a lot of, there's a lot of fun things we can talk about for sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, you are known, probably not by too many people in my audience, but you are known by many as the broke backpacker at thebrokebackpacker.com. But when anybody does some even casual research of you, they're going to find Ditch Your Desk. They're going to find Epic Backpacker Tours. They're going to find Active Roots. They're going to find an SEO agency. There are so many things that you have your hands in that it's kind of mind-boggling. I feel like we should start with Broke Backpacker, but what can you tell me about the Will Hatton empire today as an overall business, like what the revenue level is like, or you know, what, what, what can you tell me about the state of the business today? Yeah, sure thing, man. So there's nine different things that I'm involved in. And there's a couple of other Incredible. projects that are on the table at the moment, which we're getting started with. Uh, we are making close to 200k a month across everything at the moment, which is very, very exciting. Um, I did start off with the Broke Backpacker and that had been going in the background for a little while whilst I was backpacking. And you know, I was making a grand a month without really having to do anything, which was fine. Um, I was able to you know, travel, buy beer, stay in hostels, but I didn't really have uh, a huge amount of motivation to grow it quickly. I just wasn't at that point until I met my now wife in Iran. And uh, that very much put a fire under my ass because we didn't have any money uh, and we needed money to be together and to travel together and to be able to get around the fact that she was Iranian because visas for her are extremely expensive and complicated. So that was really my motivation to start growing that. And as I grew that, I spotted all these other opportunities for other uh, areas that I wanted to be involved in. And that's how all of these other businesses that I'm now involved in started. This is absolutely incredible. And so let's go with that number, the 200K-ish number. That's as of, we're recording this and talking in 2019. When did this all get started? How far back in time do we have to go to, to where you became a business? So probably about three years, um, about three years ago is, is, is where we started taking this a lot more seriously. But the growth over the last year has just been exponential. I mean, um, we increased our traffic on the Broke Backpacker by about 1400% over the last 12 months. Um, all of the other sites that I started, I mean, as you probably know, right, when you start a new site, you know, you've got that period where you're in the sandbox, where it isn't moving, where it takes time. And whilst it is still possible in, in 2019 to start a site and to rank in six months, doing that on a budget is very, very hard. Um, if you've got money to dump into it, you, you can do it a lot faster and you can be a lot more successful with it. So uh, over the last year, I've had money to invest into projects. And um, since then, that growth has just been exponential. The, first, the two years before that, I mean, I was doing absolutely everything myself. I was wearing every hat. I was writing all the content. I was doing all the outreach. I was building all the links. It was It was absolutely crazy. We ran out of money. So i started this uh, Epic Backpacker tour company, which was literally just like, we were completely out of money. I was in Pakistan. I was like, yo, Instagram, I'm in Pakistan. Does anybody want to come to Pakistan? It'll be 1500 bucks and I'll show you around. And, and that, that's how that business started. Um, so it was wow. very much like, uh, yeah, 
it was very much like you know as opportunities made themselves available and as i became to be honest increasingly desperate to make money and to make it happen and to be able to reinvest that money into things we started a whole bunch of different things all right so lest anyone think who's listening to this that this was just some you you magic elixir you just stumbled across something and and SEO'd the crap out of it. <laughs> so I don't want anybody to think that that's the case. I want to go back in time further, pre-thebrokebackpacker.com uh, to the younger Will, sure. because it's particularly relevant here. What I know about you is that even in your teens, you became a little bit of an adventurer, a little bit of a vagabond, a guy who wanted to get out and see the world. Yeah, pretty that, safe to say. Is that an understatement? That is an understatement. I spent about ten years, like uh, you know, sleeping rough, sleeping in tents, sometimes couch surfing. Um, yeah, I, w- I was on I was on the road for a long, long time, and I got a huge amount out of that. And it really um, it taught me a lot, and actually, it taught me a lot of uh, viable business skills as well. I mean, when you're traveling and you haven't got any money, you learn how to haggle, and you learn how to haggle in a way that allows both sides to maintain integrity and honor, and you're not trying to get you know, somebody to sell you something for less than it's worth. You're trying to get a fair price that works for both people. Um, but yeah, I spent I spent about 10 years traveling around. I started out with two years in India, purely because I knew that I could spend two years in there um, and, and survive for like, you know, 50 bucks a week, which is what I did. I was working on farms. Uh, I was buying t-shirts and bringing them back to Europe once a year, like these hippie t-shirts and, and selling them at festivals, which is cool because you can make like about a thousand percent on them. I was selling weed on a beach in Goa for like six months. That was interesting. Um, yeah, it was good. I, I was all over the place. Um, and this is this is seriously incredible. I, I what was the first trip? Was India the first trip? No, as a young guy that you took that sort of wet your appetite for all of this. No, so okay, so to go back a little bit further, so my first ever trip was I went to climb Kilimanjaro when I was eighteen because I was interested in doing something that I thought would physically challenge me. So I did that. Um, and I was, I was due to join the army. Um, and I decided that before I joined the army, I would go out and do this 10 week program in Costa Rica and Nicaragua, which was basically uh, a three week, um, like challenge hiking period, a three week community program and three weeks of something else, which I never got to. So whilst out there during this three week hike, um, I had quite a serious, uh, issue with my leg, which led me to be in hospital for two weeks. I was told that my leg was going to be amputated, which it was not, luckily. I was then flown back to the UK, and I spent about six months um, going through physical therapy. Uh, after the end of that, I was no longer eligible to go into the army. And like to be honest, I had a complete mental breakdown because that's what I wanted to do since I was about like five. So I wasn't wow. really sure what to do after that point. Um, so I had like three grand in my bank account. So I, I'd emptied it and I went to India. And that was how that all kind of began. Where did you grow up? I grew up in a very, very small, very, very boring town in the south of England, which is luckily just outside of Brighton. And Brighton is not small or boring. It's luckily just outside of Brighton? Yeah, like seriously, man, like the place where I'm from, there is nothing there. It's, it's, it, I mean, there's a train line. That's why the town exists, but there is nothing there. What did you picture yourself doing in the future? Obviously, you had in your heart this sort of, uh, you know, this nomadic sort of spirit about you, uh, clearly. Like you're not doing this because you ran out to start a new business that was traveling the world. It seems like that happened 
I don't want to say accidentally, but that happened as a result of you seeing an opportunity to make a living doing it. But it seems like it was it was in you to travel like this to begin with. So did what did you picture yourself doing when you were a teenager about to embark upon these types of trips? Honestly, like after I was no longer able to get into the army, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do because I, I always wanted to have uh, a job that allowed me to stay really physically fit. I was interested in being a fireman as well, but I, I wasn't able to do that again because of the leg injury. So that really allowed me uh, to kind of sit back and rethink what I wanted to do. And I, w- I was so unsure, but I was sure that if I was traveling in far-flung lands, and if I was traveling on a budget, that I would meet a lot of interesting people, I would have a lot of interesting experiences, and uh, I would be forced out of my comfort zone. And like, I'm, I'm a big believer that when you're out of your comfort zone, you learn a lot of things, right? And as, as a kid, I, I, I was really socially awkward. Like I, was, I, was, I found it very, very difficult to talk to women, pretty difficult to talk to men. Uh, I, I, was, I was awkward as hell. So like being, being on the road and having those experiences and uh, being forced into situations where I had to talk to people was really, really good for me. And honestly, for a long time, I was just pursuing that. I was just pursuing the, um, the personal growth that I was able to find on the road. And it, re- it really was quite amazing. Like, uh, you know, when, when you are by yourself, when you are um, sleeping rough or camping in the Himalayas or in a hammock in the jungle, you have a lot of time to think about what you want. And you have a lot of time crucially to think about the kind of person you want to be and that was really what I was interested in was 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 finding a way to be the person I wanted to be and finding a way to fund that journey of self-discovery for as long as possible so for 10 years you're basically soaking up the world and not doing it purely off of the generosity of the the residents of the countries that you're visiting but you're working in each of these parts of the world, like you're digging your hands in to become a part of the world, a part of these countries and to, uh, to, to, like I said, to soak it up, to taste the world. And were you three years into this 10 year journey, four years into this journey, did you feel like I'll just do this forever? Uh, or, Or were the wheels starting to turn that there needs to be a next step at some point? Yeah. I mean, so like, I, I had this dream, which was to open a hostel. I, I'd, I'd always wanted to open a hostel. It seemed like a really cool way to uh, stop traveling and to have a base while still very much being a part of like the traveler community, having people come through. I wanted to uh, have a dorm which would be free, which would be for artists and musicians. You know, you, you come, you stay, you contribute, you can stay for free, you get free meals a day, be involved in uh, the local community, provide job opportunities, like provide some kind of community project funded through the hostel. So that, that, was, that was what I was working towards. That was very much the, the, the vision of what I wanted, which is exciting because I'm, I'm now very much involved in that space. We are building our first hostel in Bali at the moment. I've also just very recently bought land in Colombia. So we're going to be building a second hostel over there, which is exciting. Um, but yeah, as, as, I, as I was traveling, I, I, I had that idea and I had no idea how I was going to make that money. I, I, I really didn't know what I was going to do um, I was very, very good at making small amounts of money very quickly. Uh, I, I, I realized very early on that to make money, all you really had to do was transport something from A to B. So, you know, maybe you would bring hippie stuff from India to a festival and you'd make, you'd, you'd make a thousand percent. Unfortunately, a thousand percent of like 200 bucks is, is only two grand, which 
for me was plenty of money at the time, but was never going to be enough to like build a hostel. You know, I just had very, right. very, very little money to begin with. And as anybody will tell you, it is quite difficult to make money without any money, especially if you're involved in like buying physical products. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I really didn't know how I was going to get to the point where I'd be able to open a hostel, but luckily that has all kind of lined up over the last couple of years. So the the you know the common term that's used nowadays is that you hustle. You know that people people will say you hustle, and and it sounds like that was it was ten years of um, <laughs> small ticket hustling, <laughs> so yes, to speak, indeed. right? Yeah. Like yeah, sure. you're 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 scrambling, you're finding all kinds of ways to make small amounts of money to get by and, and to and to live. <laughs> um, and and then at some point in time, obviously you had something you're working towards. You want to you want to start your own hostel at some point in time, and um, and maybe it's as good a time as any to to mention that 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 was an an important part of your journey is staying in hostels over the course of time. We don't have to go down the weeds on that, but that was an important part of that process, and maybe that fueled some of your desire to open one at, at one point. But throughout this process, um, there was a point at which you decided. I could turn this into a legit business all by itself before the hostel even needs to happen or before I even want the hostel to happen. I can turn it into its own digital business that I run from anywhere. Do you remember where you were or what the situation was when that when that idea popped into your head? Yeah, for sure. So, okay, I'd always enjoyed writing um, and I had been you know, writing emails to my mom from India for years. Um, Started to compile those, throw them on a site. Site didn't get any traffic. I didn't know anything about SEO. I couldn't have told you what it stood for or anything like that um, until about four years ago when, whilst in Colombia, I started taking it a bit more seriously. I met with another dude who was making a bit of money online running a blog. And I was like, shit, I could do this. Like, I don't see any massive difference in the skill set or intelligent level between me and our people who are doing this. So I was like, I, I can figure this out. So I started then and quite quickly got it to a point where it was it was making a grand a month without me really having to do anything. And I was like, this is this is awesome. This is this is great. Um and I was like, okay, so there's there's a lot of people out there who are going down the social media influencer route, which wasn't really something I wanted to do. But I figured that that was something I needed to do. So I effectively decided that I was going to pull quite a large publicity stunt, which was I was going to travel from the UK to Papua New Guinea without flying. The main reason for doing this was it would mean that I could get a bunch of very powerful backlinks from, uh, you know, from the BBC, from the Daily Mail, from all of these large media publications, right? And those backlinks, as anybody will tell you, like, I mean, they're almost impossible to get um, throughout. Brilliant. Like, so they make a huge, huge difference to the overall backlink profile of a site and, and that, that site's power to rank. So I decided I was going to do that. That was about three years ago. And um, I got all the way to India without flying. And then things changed because whilst I was in Iran, I met my now wife. And uh, that just changed everything. And, and that really put me in a position where I realized that I had to hustle. And that was when, that was when the hustle really began. There was about a two-year period where whilst I still got plenty of travels in, we would be based somewhere for three or four months at a time. And, and whilst we were there, that would be me just taking modafinil every day and doing like 80 to 100 hours work a week. Uh, and, that, and that was my life for a couple of years whilst I was getting all of this off the ground. Did you love it? Did you love that life? No, I hated it. It was... It was Tell it me was, why you hated it. It was... I mean, I didn't, I didn't know if it was going to work. 
uh, I, I, I didn't know if I was wasting my time. Um, like we, we, you know, we were living in this t- tiny apartment, often couldn't even really afford to eat. Uh, I'd racked up as much credit card debt as my credit cards would allow me to do. Um, not so much for our living costs, more for like trying to grow everything that we were involved in. And the learning curves were just so, so steep. And I didn't have a mentor, which I think would have been very, very helpful. But I also didn't have uh, a community of people who were in the same position as me. I just, I, did, I didn't know anybody. So I, 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 it was a whole new kind of mental stress. And I, I very much like challenging myself, but like traditionally the kind of challenges that I've always um, looked for and thrived on are physical challenges. So to suddenly have this mental challenge which consumes your every uh waking moment and which you know i'm dreaming about it as well i'm thinking about it constantly um it it was just it was just a real shift and there was a lot of mental pressure that came along with that um we had we had a lot of challenges to get through which which were unique to our situation so to get through so you were doing this though with a desire to turn this into a business so i uh i listen i've scanned through I don't know, hundreds of your photos from those years, um, like through Instagram and elsewhere. And, and so I, I can see the places you went and the people you experienced, the cultures you uh, took part in. And besides the fact that I can't imagine Wi-Fi was a big part of your life <laughs> back then, I, I'm, I'm also imagining how it is that you're documenting this life so that you can start to monetize it. I remember seeing one picture that you had um, from... I don't know, probably three and a half, four years ago or so that shows you in this most incredible location with a laptop, uh, right? I'm sitting in front of you. And, um, and I remember it was like in front of a mountain or something like that. And I don't remember the country it was in. But I remember thinking, how were you able to document your life and build this business because you had so much activity going on of, of actually um, experiencing these countries that you were visiting in? You maybe were in Pakistan at that point in time. I don't recall. But but how did you balance the doing of the work and not the, and I don't want to call it work necessarily, but because it was a strain on you, you must've seen it like work. Yeah, sure. How did you balance that with the documenting of it? So it was becoming the foundations of a business. Yeah. I mean, so once, once we realized that um, if, if I wanted to build the business, um, 95% of that was, was best done from a desk rather than um, actually whilst traveling, we started, to split up. we started to split up the year. So it was like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna travel for six weeks uh, or two months or three months. And whilst, whilst traveling, uh, I'm gonna work three or four hours a day when I can. And then we're going to um, stop for three months and I'm, I'm gonna work 100 hours a week. Um, and that, and that's, that's gonna be how we're gonna do it. And that, that worked pretty well. I mean, there are, look, there's many, many different ways to, to skin a cat, right? And especially in the travel niche, it's an absolutely massive niche. There are a lot of people um, in this space. I would say that most of them are doing it wrong because they're focusing on social media, which is very, very difficult to generate a passive income from. You know, a passive income is where things start to get exciting. Um, so, I mean, once I realized that social media wasn't going to be a part of what we were doing, honestly, I, I felt a huge sigh of relief because um, it, it, just, it just isn't a good business model. Unless, you're, unless you've got like three or four million followers, you're not going to be able to generate the kind of income from social media that you can from SEO. So once I realized that SEO was the way forward for us, 
I really focused on that and I, I split the year up. So I, I, I would have these periods where I would just work like crazy. And then whilst I was traveling, I would be trying to experience that. I would be trying to soak it up. I would be trying to have these connections with people. However, my travels changed. Like from, from, from when I was building this business, my, my travels really did change. Like things changed. I, I no longer had quite the same level of freedom or spare time um, that I had had before. But I mean, at that point, I'd, I'd been traveling for like a long time. So it, 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 it was fine. A change was welcome if it meant that I was going to be able to build the lifestyle which I'm currently living. You know, working from home is mostly great, but there are some days when I realize I haven't left my house or even my chair like all day. Have you been there? Getting outside to exercise or making a trip to the gym are just harder now that my office is just a flight of stairs away. If you're stuck in the same rut as me, then you should try Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W. With the Hydro rower and 20 minutes a day, getting a full body workout is so much easier. Hydro can work up to 86% of your muscles in just 20 minutes for an insane effective home workout. That's because Hydro pairs the effectiveness of rowing with the power of technology to connect you with over 5,000 video trainings, classes, and workouts. And get ready to get out from behind your home desk because after a few months of daily rowing with Hydro, your partner's gonna wanna take you out for a night on the town to show you off. This spring, join the growing rowing community at Hydro. Head over to hydro.com and use code FREELANCE to save up to $400 off your Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com and promo code FREELANCE to save $400. Hydro.com, promo code FREELANCE, or just click the link in our show description. Have you ever noticed that many of the problems people call in with on this show can be solved by hiring someone? Sometimes you need a full-fledged team, other times maybe just a simple assistant or an expert in something you're not great at. Whatever your reason for hiring, we recommend you take a look at LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. As you may know already, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn Jobs makes the process of finding the perfect teammate easy and intuitive. Hiring is always easy when you have access to so many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours when using LinkedIn Jobs. I've used it myself, and it was so simple. In fact, I've made multiple hires using LinkedIn Jobs, and did I mention, by the way, it's free to business owners like me and you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash freelance. That's linkedin.com slash freelance to post your job for free or click the link in our show description. Terms and conditions apply. Fascinating to me. So you are, you're building this, is it safe to say that the brokebackpacker.com became sort of the hub? It became like the, the primary central point that documented your travelers, your, your travels. And then, and like Instagram, which you have a, you have a, a pretty good following there. It's like 60,000 or so uh, followers there. Instagram just became another channel for you, but the hub was the website. Safe to say, right? Yeah. I mean, I do very little with Instagram. Um, Instagram was useful to get the tour company off the ground and, and to sell the tours. But um, I now, like, I mean, I haven't posted anything on Instagram for, for months. Uh, I'm, I'm really not very active on there. Um, I, I think that, so my, my preferred method of selling stuff is to sell something when somebody is looking for it. Um, so if someone types into Google, best backpacking tent, I want, I want to answer their question. I want to tell them what the best tent is. And I want them to click through my link and I want them to buy it. But if they don't buy it, I'm not going to be butt hurt. It's fine. 
What I don't want to do is I don't want to appear in someone's Instagram or Facebook feed um, when they're not looking for me and try and sell them something. That, that is a, a, a sales method that I'm not personally comfortable with. So I, I'm just not interested in trying to do that. So if you think of things in terms of like funnels, then you have no interest in just providing general content for people that are, let's call it top of funnel. Your, your goal is to produce content that is specifically aimed at people who now want to take action. And that might mean booking a tour or it might mean using your affiliate links to buy gear, right? We definitely have a lot of really high value content on the site that isn't even aimed at selling. So there's a lot, there's a lot of sure. resources on there for like budget backpackers and teaching people how to haggle, running down couch surfing, teaching, teaching people how to hitchhike. I mean, that content pretty much can't be monetized. Um, that that's just really providing value to to the user. But what I what I don't want to do is when it, when it comes to trying to uh, to make money, I I don't want to be like an ad that is popping up in somebody's social media feed um, without being asked for. You know that that just isn't a method that I'm. I I don't think it works. Um, it. And I, I think I think that you definitely lose a certain um, a certain part of your authenticity once you start doing that. Yeah. So okay, we've spent so much time talking about the weaving of the traveling and how you found time uh, to do some of the content generation and building your presence and your uh, your business. Let's just talk about the business side of, uh, here at this point. So you have started the, the core site, thebrokebackpacker.com. And you, um, while today you have all kinds of appendages from that that have, that have resulted from the success with that. In the earliest days, as you just started to, to document your journeys and start to build guides that would help people in making decisions with their travel or maybe even book a, tri a trip uh, where you would uh, guide them or take them or, or give them advice on where to go and that sort of thing. In the earliest days, what did you do specifically to monetize the site and as a step one? And then how long did it take before you realized you needed to sort of expand what that offering was? Sure. Okay, so in, in the absolute earliest days, I was selling links. So I, was, I was slinging links and I, I realized quite quickly that you could scale that. So I bought 30 expired domains. I dropped uh, template sites on top of those. I put 10,000 words on each site. Um, and I spent a ton of time creating databases, reaching out to those databases, finding clients who wanted to buy links in the travel space and selling them as many links as I physically could. So that, that was the first thing I did. That doesn't really work anymore. Uh, and it isn't something I'm doing anymore. Um, but that was that was good for a little while. Just the fact that you're saying it doesn't work anymore today, that tells me a lot's changed in just the three years or so that you've been doing this. Is that safe to say? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, as, as any SEO will tell you, it changes every month, every month you know. And um, there, there are major changes every year um, in, in the way that Google values a link, in the way that Google prioritizes what content it wants to show. Like, I mean, you've really got to be on top of it. Um, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna win with Google, obviously, like to to be completely honest, I'm in a pretty unique position now because um, Google trusts my site, and my site has a has a large and varied backlink profile of organically accrued links from the BBC, Business Insider, Daily Mail, all of these very trustworthy authority sites. So once you get to that point, it, it, it's it's it becomes much easier. It, it really really does. Um, but getting to that point is is a challenge, and as Google continues to change, it the whole industry is changing all of the time. Well, I was going to say, yeah, it's 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 a it's a major battle to get to the point where you've gotten. It's also a difficult battle to stay where you've gotten because obviously 
Google's rules change. And I want to go that I want to go down that path here soon. But let's stick with where we are early yes, in the okay. monetization trip. So so I get your the buying of links and you were you were uh, monetizing the uh, the crap out of those links. What did you evolve to next? How did yeah, what was the so next that, generation? So next I went to affiliate marketing. Um, you know, selling uh, beds in hostels, selling tents, selling uh, backpacks, things that weren't mine, selling products on Amazon, on REI, on Hostelworld, on Booking.com. Um, and then once I had all of the data of the products which sold the most, I started manufacturing my own products and um, putting the end product as, as, as my product. So that rather than making 5% off a sale or 10% off a sale, I could make 100% off a sale because I controlled the traffic. Um, and that's, that's something that I'm doing in quite a big way at the moment. Um, once I had data on which keywords were making me the most money, I started several other sites, which I can't really name here. And um, my whole goal is, like I said saying to you earlier, I don't want to be in the first position for a valuable keyword. I want to be in the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth position, which means I need to have five websites, right? So I, I build multiple sites to capture pretty much the entire first page for high value keywords. I mean, there's some keywords out there where if you can do that, just that one keyword is worth like five figures a month. Um, so if, if, you, if you can capture the right keywords, it, it can be very, very lucrative. So I've got all these other sites out there doing that. Um, Epic Backpacker Tour started a couple of years ago and it isn't like the most financially exciting thing that I'm involved in, but it's made a massive difference to uh, personal friends that I have on the ground in Pakistan and we're involved in a community project there. So we're keeping that going. Um, we're in the process of helping a friend of mine build a guest house out there. Uh, we've created a load of um, job opportunities for people I know out there. So that's been really, really exciting to be involved in that um, and to kind of get, give a bit more back. Um, so that's kind of really been the, the evolution. Started out selling links, moved to affiliate marketing, used that data to work out which products to create. Um, then tried to monetize the hell out of really high value keywords by creating other sites around those keywords. And then most recently, I started Ditch Your Desk. However, I put a caveat on that because Ditch Your Desk is not a for-profit project. It's very much a, pas a passion project. Like Everything on there is free. We're not trying to sell anything. Um, I mean, it is monetized through obviously hosting affiliates and keyword research tool affiliates, but all the info on there is free. Um, and I'm not really interested in trying to make money out of that at the moment because I think that when you launch a new marketing blog uh, if you can launch it with just free high quality information rather than trying to monetize your audience straight away I think you um, you come across as a lot more genuine there's a lot of people out there who start blogs and they're like yo I can teach you how to make six figures etc 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 pay me money and it's just like well if you're making six figures why do I need to pay you money why can't you give me a taste of uh of what you're actually doing and share some knowledge bombs and then I'll then I'll consider paying money later on, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pause your journey story for just a second here. Sure. And the reason I want to do it is if I'm a listener hearing this interview and maybe I've been a writer or I've done a lot of blogging or writing in an outsourced freelanced way for other people, or maybe I've even got my own site just a little bit, I I I feel like that person might be thinking, this guy is a genius at SEO. Did he have that, that uh, expertise when he embarked on this trip? Or is that something that you just have learned you know, through 
aggressive self-study over these last three years where everything that you're saying is speaking to search, you know, and, um, and yet if I just read your content, I would feel like this guy is a travel guru. He's a gear guru as well. And it's absolutely real content that is expert level written by you and others, I'm sure, but it's pretty extraordinary. So that, so that's, that's the long setup to my question, which is, when did the search expertise come into play where you were able to maximize to the hilt the work that you were doing and the content you were uh, producing? Honestly, I'm, well, firstly, I'll start by saying I'm completely self-taught. I've never done a course. Um, I've literally just been Googling stupid questions and, and getting answers to those questions, watching YouTube videos, some of which provide value, some of which don't, and using my spidey senses to work out which of those provide value and which bullshit. <laughs> Um, it, it's, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, there's a lot of self learning if you want to be in the top one percent of SEOs. I will also put another caveat on that and say that like to be in the top one percent of SEOs in the travel niche is much easier than to be in the top one percent of SEOs in, for example, the finance niche. Because whilst the travel niche is, whilst the travel niche is very very saturated, most people who are doing it are hobby bloggers and most people who do it do it for one or two years and then stop doing it and, and there's a huge huge turnover so if you are in that midpoint where you've started something and you're trying to work out what your next step is going to be i would say just educate yourself and the information is all out there um i consider myself to be quite good at seo the thing that i'm really good at is scaling content so it doesn't really matter how good you are at seo like you can be amazing but if you haven't got uh, content to put out there and to rank and you can't produce that content fast enough and cheap enough um, you, you, you're going to find yourself in a very tight spot indeed and where our exponential growth really started was when I hired and trained my own content team because before that I was doing all of the content myself which is very very time consuming the method that we have now for creating content is very very slick it's effectively a production chain right um, and that has made a massive difference to our growth. So I think that really, whatever, wherever you are in this, in this process, really focus on doing things as efficiently as possible, both from a time and a cost point of view, whilst obviously keeping the quality of everything that you're doing high, because that's the one thing with the travel niche is there is a lot of high quality content out there. But there are not many people who are putting out content in both a high quality and a high quantity. So if you can be one of those people, you're, you're going to have an immediate advantage. And, uh, you know, again, I, you don't need me uh, uh, building up your reputation. I've got you on the show. However, when someone does even a casual five-minute click-through review of The Broke Backpacker, they'll find that. It's rich content. Um, yes, it might be search-optimized as well, but that just kind of comes with the territory. But you yeah. can find deep, content on de specific destinations uh, and things to do, things to be prepared for. Like it's, you, you can't scrimp on that. It feels like you have realized and the way you have um, produced content on your own and worked with your team to produce the content is obviously going extremely deep on some of these subjects and some of these destinations. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you look at like our, our backpacking guides, uh, the backpacking India guide is like 20,000 words long. 
So, I mean, when you put something like that out there, you're, you're pretty much like just slapping down a pair of pocket aces on the table and being like, beat that. Somebody might be able to beat it, but it's going to take them some serious, serious time to be able to put something out that can even compete with you, by which point you've built links and then you've, you've raised the bar again. So, I right. mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in putting out really high quality, really long content because often that will rank without you even having to build links. Mm. Um, people who are putting out like, you know, pieces of content now are 800 to 1500 words long. That used to work. That, that used to work really, really well. Um, when the internet was younger, when there was less content out there, you could rank for a high value money keyword with 800 words, but you can't do that anymore. So the times have changed. And if, if you want to rank your content, it needs to be long. Mm. Fascinating also. And I, that, that leads me right into the next, the next sort of series of questions I have. And that, that is like lessons learned along the way. It seems like you're a pretty quick study of not just being in the moment and, and traveling around. And if somebody only followed you on Instagram, by the way, they just would think that you're, uh, you're, you're an adrenaline junkie and you're, you're a travel junkie and that sort of thing. But uh, so you know how to be in the moment. It's not like you're sitting there on your computer for half the day, like people are, might be thinking when they're hearing you talk. But, um, but from a business standpoint, what are some, if you could go back in time and restart this, knowing what you know now, how would that first three months to six months have gone differently than how they went, despite the fact that it all paid off for you? What would you go back and change and do differently? That's a really good question. Um, okay, so I think what I would do differently is there would be a couple of uh, learning curves that I embarked upon, which I would not have done. I would have outsourced those learning curves, which is something that I have been very good at doing for the last. What's an example of, of that? Um, so on most of my projects, I have uh, manager level people working with me on them. And I'll mm -hmm. be like, right, listen, I've worked out all of the um, keywords that we need to put into these posts to get them to rank. I've worked out what the format is going to look like. What I haven't done is worked out what our internal linking is going to look like and what anchor text we're going to use for that. And I won't go too deep on that now because it's, it's quite complicated, right? But sure. you, need to, you need to get that right. Um, and if you do get it right, it can make a massive difference to the overall rankability, not just of your site, but of the post that you're trying to rank. So I'll, I'll outsource that whole learning curve to somebody else. I'll be like, right, here's a tool, go and figure it out. And that is going to be quite a lot of analysis for them to do that. Um, at the beginning, I would try and take on all of the analysis myself. Uh, another example is we do a lot of conversion optimization, which is basically a posh way of saying A-B testing, um, mm -hmm. where we'll direct, uh, if we get 1,000 visitors to a page, 250 of them will see version A, 250 will see version B, and so on. And the versions will be very, very similar, but there'll be minor, minor changes, usually in the layout or the buttons or the color or the tables, things like that. And over a period of six months, we'll, we'll keep making tweaks until we, have, um, until we have worked out what the best possible version of a table or a button or an introductory sentence is to generate click-throughs because that's when we make money. that's when we actually make money right so that's our whole goal is to generate click-throughs um that is a learning curve that i did outsource and i literally just see the results of all of those tests sometimes i'll design a test but i've got somebody else who runs all of it for me um and that that is if you try and learn everything by yourself which is what i did at the beginning it can honestly be overwhelming uh now i know what my strengths are and i just continue to embark on those learning curves and 
when something new comes along that needs to be learned, I, I have a couple of apprentices who are working with me at the moment. I might decide that I want to take that on myself, but before I do, I'll get one of them to have a look at it for me and, and, and to put together a two-page document, effectively giving me an introduction to what it is we're about to start learning about. I should point out that this, this was a, an easier question. It's always an easier question when you're looking in hindsight. But the reality sure. is you were living off of pennies back then. Yeah. So it's yeah. not like you had the resources then that you have now. You had to earn your way to those resources, right? 100%. And honestly, it was kind of a difficult question to ask because in, in some ways, like I'm not sh- coming from the background that I was in with no money, I'm not sure what I would have done differently. Um, like I, I pretty much just put a ton of elbow grease into it. And that was what was required. There were there were things that I could have done which would have been maybe faster. Uh, I, I should have quit social media even earlier than I did. Um, but again, maybe I would have made it in social media if I kept going at it. But I did know that it was something that I wasn't interested in. So I think find what you're interested in, find what you want to be good at, and really pursue that. And um, at, at the beginning, the only thing that I had was sweat equity. But I had a lot of it. So I've, I put a ton of that in, and that made a massive difference. Well, a willingness to do anything, to go anywhere, to get literally as filthy as you could get so that if nothing else, you were going to be providing the absolute best possible content that somebody could find on the destinations you went to. It feels that way. And you haven't mentioned that, by the way, but it sure feels that way when you read the guides that you put together. Yeah, for sure. I mean, dude, I was like absolutely passionate about showing people who came from a similar background to myself that um you can travel and it doesn't matter how little money you have like you you can totally make it happen you just have to be willing to be uncomfortable i think that in the travel niche in general um whether it's other bloggers or holiday companies or whatever travel is shown as this very kind of glamorous pastime and that's cool if you if you can afford to do that go have a blast enjoy yourself but if you can't afford to do that, that doesn't mean that you can't go traveling. It doesn't mean that you can't see these places. It doesn't mean that you can't have these experiences. And I would argue that if you are traveling broke, uh, you are forced out of your comfort zone more. You have real connections with people. You're not just talking to people who work in the hotel industry. You're talking to the dude sitting next to you on the bus with a goat on his lap going to visit his sister in the mountains. And you, you have these cool conversations. You have these cool connections. And I think... Um, that you can get a ton out of traveling that way. And that was something that I really, really wanted to demonstrate. And I also really wanted to demonstrate that countries like Venezuela, Pakistan, Iran, which are places I know very, very well, are not as they are shown in the media. Um, that, that was like a personal mission of mine to show people that these countries, people are, you've got normal people in every country. You have like good people in every country. And I really wanted to show that. Um, and it was something that I had a lot of experience with because of the way that I was traveling. Yeah, that's a cool one there too. I I have a quote, by the way, from an interview that you did um, sometime back that talked about this willingness to go anywhere and 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 be on a tight budget and experience some of these things versus as money started to emerge, just going the the higher route. Um, and you here's what you said. You said it is uncomfortable, and you made this comment just a second ago too. It is uncomfortable and it is difficult. What made it easier back in the day was I was so excited about being on the road that I didn't mind being uncomfortable. And then you said this, which I think is kind of cool. I still don't mind. But now I have a decent tent and camping gear, which makes a huge difference. Yeah, 100%, man. And that, that is it. Seriously, like, 
you can you can spend like 20 hours on a horrible bus journey getting up into the mountains but at night once you put your tent out and you're sitting by your fire and there's no one else around and you're surrounded by the silhouettes of the mountains and above you you've just got this incredible night sky you forget about the bus journey pretty quickly and it becomes worth it that's pretty fascinating so um so we talked a little bit about what you did in the early days we talked about what you did what you would have done differently which was a uh make-believe question what were the (laughs) (laughs) what were the strokes of genius what were the either accidental or um serendipitous moments that uh that sort of emerged that were important pivot moments or acceleration moments for you to monetize what you're doing uh, definitely building the content team in the way that I have. Um, so setting it up in a production line format where uh, I'll give you a, a brief overview of that. Effectively, like I, I will decide what, what topics we're going to write about. I will find the primary and secondary keywords. Um, then it will go to my writing team who have been trained by me. But crucially, it will be finished by a Filipino VA team. And they put in all the buttons, they put in all the tables, they put in all of the interlinking, which they've been trained to do. They put in all of the images. Doing it that way has made it very fast and very cost-effective. So building that was a big help. Um, Knowing the value of generating income so that I could reinvest it, that was a big help. And that, that, like I said earlier, that was why and how the uh, tour company was born. Uh, and everything that I, oh man, so when we, when we ran the tour company, when we, when we ran the first tour, right, I'd already spent all of the money by the time um, we got to actually running the tour. Um, I'd been reinvesting it into various things online. Um, so that was, that was interesting running that. But it was cool. Nobody noticed. So I would say we were successful. Um, <laughs> nobody noticed, huh? <laughs> nobody noticed. <laughs> so I would say we were successful. But yeah, um, knowing when and how to put that money in and not being afraid of putting money in, um, that was that was definitely a big advantage as well. Like I'm, 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 I really don't mind risk. I'm, I'm fine with it. So I, I would take big risks frequently um, to try and grow what we're doing. And then the third thing, um, and it, again, it kind of comes back to my team, is I have been very fortunate to attract a really high caliber of person who wants to work with me. Um, and the team that I have and the people who I've partnered with on various joint ventures are like some of the best in this space. Um, and we've, we've, we've embarked on these learning curves together, uh, and everybody is like very, very passionate about what we're doing. We very recently had our first ever broke backpacker retreat where I flew my whole team out from all over the world. And we, uh, we got a big villa and we just partied for like six days. It was awesome. That's great. Uh, That's good. good. So having the right people to surround me and to bounce ideas off of and to work on projects with has made a massive difference as well. And something that I would say, right, is about a year ago, um, I was contacted by this one guy, Aaron. Um, Aaron is now the co-founder of Ditch Your Desk and we're working together on a few other projects as well. I couldn't afford to pay Aaron. So I designed the structure of how we were going to work together in an equity share on a couple of projects, which went away after 12 months. Now, by the time Aaron left me, I was paying Aaron over 50 grand a month. I fucking hated that equity share. It's gone now, so it's okay. But um, for that year, we were able to work together in a way where he was properly rewarded and I was able to pay him because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to bring him on. 
So I think designing things in a, in, in a format that works for everybody, that is fair, that incentivizes people properly, like that, that is something I'm quite good at is, is designing these formats um, for JVs where everybody's happy. So that's been very, very beneficial as well. Yeah, we talked before this episode started recording, we talked about, um, and we don't have to get into specifics, we'll leave that between us, what we were talking about, but you, we, you talked about um, how much you thrive on being a part of those types of negotiations to sort of get the very best. And I, I feel like there's a part of that that might just be in your DNA. It sure feels like that. But there's also a part of that that feels like it has come from your experiencing being in countries where you are living on the thinnest of margins and you've got to maximize what what is yours or what you can possibly get yeah, um, sure. to benefit you. And so that sounds like an important part of this as well as your ability to negotiate, your ability to to see an opportunity that should be or could be negotiated when other people might not. And that's more a comment than a question because I, my real question here is, it took us 40 minutes before you finally, and I didn't think you were even going to use this word at any point in time, uh, it took 40 minutes for us to talk before you finally used the word risk. And this lifestyle is one that I think most people would feel like, no way I could do something like this. All of the risk from a quality of life standpoint, let, them, let alone a financial standpoint, there's no way I could do this. And yet it feels to me, you did finally use the word risk, like I said, um, it feels to me like you didn't evaluate all of these decisions, whether they were what you wanted to do next and how you wanted to monetize and going all in on this effort or launching Active Roots or launching the backpacking tours element of your business. It doesn't feel like any of these felt like risks to you they had just felt like opportunities that you felt like i'm going to do this am i right or did you actually sit there and think i don't know if i should do this it just, i don't i don't sense a whole lot of that uh de- internal debating that you that maybe most people would do including more risk oriented on- online entrepreneurs it feels more like to you to me that you were just sort of a i think this is a, a good opportunity to to do i'm going to i'm going to go do it am so- i wrong I don't know. I, would, I was definitely aware there was a ton of risk, but so, something that... I, <laughs> so yeah, I was wrong. <laughs> well, you were wrong and you were correct. So I was aware there was a lot of risk, but I didn't debate it like about, because that, that just isn't how I do things. Um, I, I, I will make a decision quickly in about 30 seconds about anything. Um, and I would rather make the wrong decision quickly than spend all day trying to work out if it's the right decision or not because you're just wasting a ton of energy. So I, I will make decisions very, very quickly. And once I've made my decision, I'm committed and I'm, I'm going to go through with it. So that's just how All right. So what, what are your criteria for making decisions then so that we can help some of these other folks who might get uh, stymied or might talk themselves out of things, who might feel like they're wired like you a little bit as far as wanting to, to do all the things that you've done and maybe in a different industry than just travel, you know, or backpacking or something. Um, but they are, they feel slight, a slight, you know, um, reluctance to do that. What would you tell them about how to view risk? I mean, if you never take any risk, you're never really going to get anywhere particularly exciting. Um, for me, I, kn- I knew that with the, the most scary part, right, was racking up these huge credit card bills because if everything failed, how was I going to pay them? But I knew that I would find a way to pay them or that more likely I'd just run away to another country and never pay them. Um, I knew there would be a way to get out of it. Um, and I feel that with... But when, when you take risk, you have the opportunity for like massive, massive rewards. And I, I really feel that I've been able to reap some massive rewards that I've only been able to reap 
by taking these risks. And I think that a lot of the time, um, if you take a risk, unless your idea is really, really bad, you can usually make good on that risk by putting in enough hard work. There's no point in taking um in taking a risk if you're not then willing to put in the hard work to make it happen. I think that's only that is the most risky thing, right? Is um putting money down or putting time down um for something without putting your all into that project. Um if you put your all into a project, unless your idea is shit, you will normally do okay. Uh, that's been my experience anyway. And that's not just my own personal experience. That's been my experience watching other people who I know in this space. I'll give you an example. Uh, I know one guy who shall remain nameless. He sells mattresses. He's doing, I don't even know how much he's doing, but he's hes de- definitely doing more than me a month. He's making an absolute killing selling mattresses. And he had to take risks to get there. One of those risks was being involved in uh, something that he wasn't that passionate about. Um, and we had a conversation about this a couple of years ago when he started. He was like, "I'm just not that excited by it, but I am excited by, um, I am excited by the kind of lifestyle that it can allow me to lead." And um, he had to put down a ton of money to make it happen. So he's putting down money, he's putting down time, and he's putting down passion into something he isn't passionate about. But because he wholeheartedly embraced that and worked his ass off for a couple of years, he's now gotten to. An incredibly impressive point, and there are a lot. There are a lot of people out there who are doing this. It's probably more than most people realize, because most people who are making this kind of money online are smart enough to keep quiet about it. Um, but there's, there's a lot of people out there who are doing this. There's a big difference between what you make online and what you choose to keep from the money you make online. And it sounds like you have poured a heck of a lot of money into your team, so that you have an approach that is. Um, scalable and even uh, manageable from a go forward basis not just to you know manage what you're doing right now but like you literally can can continue to grow going forward and so i have a feeling the numbers that you shared with me might not have uh, factored in all of these additional costs that you have for this team because sure. if there's one thing that seems different to me too about the reason i mentioned that by the way is different to me in you versus the guy you just mentioned is that you are absolutely going to stay involved in work that you enjoy Doing. Yeah, definitely. Or, 100%. Yeah. Do you think that then that notion of follow your passion, follow your joy is an important one? Follow the things that, you know, you're passionate about is is crucial? I think it's, it certainly helps. I think that, um, you know, you, you might be passionate about something that is very, very difficult to make a living out of. Um, and I think that you have, you kind of have this tipping point, right? Where you have to, you have to figure out what's more important to be directly involved with working on my passion or to be involved in something else which allows me to fund my passion. And I think as long as you're doing one of those, I think it's okay. I really do. I think the unacceptable middle ground is when you are working a job you hate, which also pays you very little and therefore doesn't allow you to have the freedom to follow your passion. And I think that's that's the trap that people get stuck in. I've, I've been there myself. I've watched other friends and family who have been stuck in that trap. And um, I think that it takes real bravery to break out of that because if you're in this position where you're not earning much money, you're broke and you want to take a risk, it, it definitely seems intimidating to do that. But I think that is that is the time where people really have to make the effort to break out of that. Because if you're, if you're working a job you hate and you're not earning much money, you're just not going to have the best kind of lifestyle, you know? Yeah, it almost seems like what you're saying is... Um... 
big adversity requires like big changes, not just small incremental changes to get out of whatever bad rut you're in. For sure. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So a lot has changed in the three years that you've been going at this hard and heavy. As you look ahead, and this is where we're, the finish line is right ahead of us, Will. <laughs> As you look ahead now, say to the next, I won't you know, ask you to, to predict the next three years, but as you look ahead to say the next 12 months to 18 months and what you will need to do to keep this train moving and maybe even to speed it up, what should we expect to see from Will Hatton and your brands? How will the, what will be the next evolution? Great question. I'm glad you asked, actually. Um, so something that I'm really passionate about is doing projects which will have a positive benefit on the people who are involved, but also on the environment. Um, and we are now looking at creating a whole ton of products out of recycled plastic, which is really, really hard. There is so much more to it than I thought there would be initially. Um, and we are in the process of effectively creating a cottage industry in Bali where we are going to be shredding plastic bottles, uh, which will be captured from the ocean and then creating products out of that so we'll be doing a crowdfunding campaign for that um hopefully this year but maybe more recent more, more likely next year uh we're building two hostels one in bali one in colombia we're expanding the uh tour company so that we're going to be doing tours in iran and kyrgyzstan i've got two of my guys are actually out in kyrgyzstan at the moment uh plotting the hiking route and checking out the itinerary and putting it all together so that's pretty exciting uh, the Broke Backpacker will just continue to grow. Uh, at, at the moment, it grows about 15% every month, which is awesome. We're putting out like 100 posts every month. Uh, I've got my other projects that I'm working on in the background, like some secret projects, which allow me to capture those second and third positions we were talking about. And then on Ditch Your Desk, uh, mine and Aaron's goal is to help 100 people um, start working online over the next 12 months. So that's something that we're uh, we're getting involved in, just answering questions, um, you know, via email, via the Facebook group, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that's been quite cool, actually. Like, it's been, it's been a lot of fun to see the different ideas and different product projects and different passions that people are getting involved in. And uh, it's 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 helped me realize again um, just how massive the opportunity is to make money online and to have that life of freedom. So. I, ha I, I had to mute myself because I was laughing because, Will, I'm asking you what's next. And instead of you just saying, I need to do this and this, you like rattle off seven things <laughs> that are going to be happening in the next 12 to 18 months. It's kind of astounding. Yeah, sorry. It's a lot. That probably wasn't as focused as it should have been. <laughs> no, I didn't need it to be focused because what it really does is it highlights to me that if you have built a team the right way and you have decided what constitutes demanding of your time versus something you can delegate to your team, there are no shortage of things that you can do. Like you can scale yourself in pretty dramatic, you know, exponential ways if you have the right way of inserting yourself into the business and pulling yourself out of the business if you've made the right decisions on that. Yeah, 100%. I, I very much agree with you. Um, the, the way that I'm working at the moment and the way that my workload is structured at the moment is I really only have to work about an hour a day. Um, and if I work three to four hours a day, I can get a lot done because a huge amount of what I am doing is uh, designing tasks, delegating, making sure things are done and making sure they're done at scale. That, that is really at this point, um, a large chunk of what I'm doing is managing people. And I've, I've trained those people to do the tasks that I can do 
Um, but it now means that I can just do it at scale. And, and that, that's when it gets really, really exciting. Because to be completely honest with you, I absolutely love strategy and I absolutely love building businesses. I'm not as thrilled with running them. So uh, my kind of model at the moment is to build businesses, to work on the strategy, and then to get somebody smart to run it for me. I'll tell them what to do, but they'll be the person that's in the trenches, you know? Yep, I know. Oh, I do know. I do know. <laughs> Will, this has been tremendous talking to you. So, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me, man. That was fantastic. That was the story of Will Hatton of thebrokebackpacker.com. Coming up next week, uh, seriously, that episode was just incredible. And I hope you listen to every ounce of what he had to say. He's proven. He's credible. He's traveled the world. And you need to uh, hearken to his advice. Coming up next week, we're breaking from these stories of content creators, but not in the way where you think, where we're taking a break from the show. We've got a guy who took the wisdom he gained from one failed venture that was before its time, actually, and spun it into modernizing the freight brokering industry. Seriously, the freight brokering industry. And in fact, he just cashed out of that business to the tune of tens of millions of dollars. This is the story of Chris Cobb, Christopher Cobb, founder of Armstrong Transport, a story unlike any other we'll probably ever tell on Freelance the Founder. All right, a thank you to my co-producer, Preston Lee, founder of Milo and admin of the Milo Mastermind community on Facebook, as well as our incredible partner, Bilal Abrar, for helping out with this episode. We are a proud member of the Podglomerate Network as well, which features other shows like Rocket Ship and numerous other great ones. Thanks for listening, everybody. Catch me at Brandon Hole on Twitter, if you like, and feel free to drop your rating or review on whichever podcast platform that you prefer. We'll catch you next week on Freelance to Founder. The Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe.